All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang. So I have a treat for you today. This is going to be you know, something, this is new for us. This is our first airplane pilot. This dude has, he has had a roller coaster of our career. I kind of joked with him beforehand. I mean, you never really think someone would graduate with a degree in econ or in a minor in Italian. And then, you know, close to, I don't know what it is, uh, over a decade later, be founding and leading a SaaS software company and with, you know, rapid growth. So this is a guy who currently is a founder and CEO of a company called Quota path, who you know just help sales reps and uh, all people throughout the organization ditch spreadsheets and really do and track quota in a really really uh, intuitive insightful way. And along the way, this guy has started as a, he's been a salesperson. Uh, he's been a sales manager. He's also founded a company that was acquired. You know, got them to over forty million in revenue and and was acquired for two hundred twenty five million in revenue. So I'm so excited to get the perspectives of an airplane pilot, an econ major, a, t- a major in Italian, and uh, someone who now founds a company. Please welcome none other than AJ Bruno to the podcast. And welcome, the crowd AJ. goes wild. I, so I think everyone listening is probably expecting, is this like a Southwest captain that Alex is talking to right now? And I also appreciate that you said a decade. So now everyone thinks I'm 30 years old, which is great. I, I <laughs> um, my first company I started, I was 27, but I am, uh, yeah, the, the great, great ripe age of 36 on the second one. So it's, uh, it's been fun. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me and I appreciate and, uh, talking with you today. Yeah. I think it's going to be exciting because I met you at the Sales Success Summit, another great person. We've had a bunch of people through that conference that have come on and you you really struck me because while you were talking about product-led growth and your, you know, kind of like uh, what you're doing at, at Quotapath, it struck me that the theme through that conference is kind of sales is life and it's innate. It's something that you're doing a ton of. A lot of people don't realize how much CEOs are doing it. Uh, we'll dig into that. We'll dig into kind of like what your role is. Before we do that, you know, I wanted a lot of people ask the question, like, tell me about your first job in sales. How'd you get into it? And I'm, I'm kind of curious, even before that, like growing up, we'll kind of like talk about things that most people might not think were necessarily sales situations, but definitely are. I think we all like kind of, we joke around, like, it's not something that there's a manual on some people Mm -hmm. that kind of, you started as a salesperson and really figured it out to really grow and even found companies. And there's some people that have probably people around you that had 10 and 15 years of experience and didn't get to the, to the levels that you did. So my first question though, goes to just kind of what you think of, like the title of this podcast, I try to like, and we talked before this, it's really innate in us selling qualities. So when you hear the, the phrase like sell by being human, yeah. what comes to mind for you when I say that to you? Well, I think the two things that you're talking through of like the, the 
early foundational years of our lives and how that forms into our career path and what we're doing, the things that we take for granted definitely hit home for me. The first thing that I think about when I was growing up and I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh, I know you asked Dan, like the, the, where are you from question? I'll answer mine is there's always a story there, but I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My dad was a pilot for US Air. My mom was a flight attendant. So there's the aviation tie. But one of the things that I found an interest in was acting. And I was a childhood stage performer. Of course, there's there's lots of like you do plays as a kid, but this became a lot more. A couple of different things happened. One, my dad during that time, this is early 90s, he started a, a side hustle. The challenge at that time was that there were a lot of accidents that happened. Uh, US Air had a handful of accidents and he was afraid that he was going to lose his job and that the, being a pilot wasn't a very stable job. So he started a production company that did a lot of, uh, and this is video production. So he did a lot of local commercials and training videos and, and things like that, that we can all, I mean, he jokes that our, our iPhones are a hundred times more powerful than his $50,000 cameras he had at the time. But he needed uh, childhood actors to be in some of these and who better than his own kids. So I got an early start there. And then I immediately found a tie to it and moved on to stage and theater and uh, did a, a few Shakespearean shows. One was um, Midsummer Night's Dream when I was 13 with adult actors. And I missed a whole year of school because of that. And I had, it was eight shows a week for... I guess we ran, that was probably 27 weeks um, that the show ran and it was fantastic. It was so much fun and, and got an opportunity to learn so many different skill sets that I, again, take for granted, but meet some great people. I acted with uh, Gillian Jacobs, was a good friend of mine growing up. She's in the show community and love now on Netflix. So got to be good friends with a lot of really great people in Pittsburgh and around Pittsburgh and thought I was going to grow up to be a professional actor. And that didn't happen. That transformed. And of course, we can get there. I'm not going to make the leap yet. But uh, through those formative years, just being in front of people was public speaking, things that I, I knew were important to me at that time. And I really, really enjoyed. I got to enjoy further running a company, sales, of course, and DJs would do that. And then, of course, speaking in front of people like I did when we first met a couple months ago. Yeah. You know, like, it makes me think like when you were doing acting, like no one tells you that that sales or you, you, that's the farthest thing from your mind, but we've had other actors. Sarah Brazier has had a, a history in acting. We've had her on the podcast and Brian L. Susser, uh from Eric Hall was on the podcast as well. And there's definitely like, I'm picking up threads, like things like, like being able to like really connect with your audience and, and understand kind of like how to change up your approach or, you know, kind of like see their facial features and things like that. And you're really like, you're not just like on stage for you. You're really in this moment. Like you, you want to give them something you're, you're never going to see again. Like, you, you know, you could read actors could read the same lines, like a million times and it could be read a million different ways, like the same lines. So yeah, curious, like what specific things for you maybe in that looking back on it, were things that maybe kind of help yeah. you in, in what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, communication, first and foremost, I think clarity around the, the audience that you're speaking to and the intended audience and how your voice carries, inflections carry, questions carry, 
and of course you're memorizing lines in a play, but through that, especially Shakespeare, right? Like I'm a 13 year old kid. Remember and understand <laughs> if we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. And this week in idle theme, no more yielding, but a dream. Like, what does that mean? What, is, what in the world is Puck trying to communicate in that, that moment? And that forced me to really start to understand a little bit. I'm certainly not, I'm the furthest thing from an English major on understanding, understanding grammar as just as general, I process things as I write. So I, I do that pretty quickly. But in those moments, I definitely think through the empathetic view of how that will carry and how it's received and what the audience is going to be thinking about. The emotion piece of it, of course, that's a big, big part of sales. And uh, emotion creates that passion, that thing that we we think about when we think of sales and the urgency and opportunities and the excitement around it. So that was also something that I got to learn really, really early on around it. So yeah, you thought we were going to be talking about aviation here the whole time, Alex, but I threw a curveball your way. But again, that led, like I had that through, I was about 15. I did a couple plays at Carnegie Mellon University. It's a big acting school. I think that school and the Juilliard are the two top in the nation still really felt like I was going to, to go forward. And then life throws you a curveball and we moved to Philadelphia and I left uh, the acting world behind, so to speak, and took on some other endeavors, including flying and aviation. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So you are the the first person that's quoted Shakespeare on the uh, the podcast, <laughs> and you are you know a, re- a true Renaissance man. You fly. You have Shakespeare. You own company. I tried not to do both of those at the same time. It was just like a little <laughs> bit too much. I was flying down to Austin like, last week, and I was listening to the book Play Bigger Category Design. It was fantastic read. I was almost done with it, and I landed in Tunica, Mississippi. I went out, got fuel, jumped back in the plane. I had 30 minutes to go. And I did the quick turn, which is just like, I had a candidate interview at four o'clock in central time in Austin. So I had like a little bit of a tight window and I took off. And uh, as I was climbing out, I realized very quickly that I took off so quickly that my autopilot didn't let time to settle because you have to have like a horizon view. And so I had to hand fly the airplane, which is two and a half hours, like keeping your heading and your altitude. There's a lot of work. But I was 30 minutes from the book. Plus, I was listening to air traffic control. It's a clear day, so weather wasn't an issue. But I really wanted to finish the book. So I finished the book by like listening. And then I was writing notes and flying the airplane all at the same time. So, but not quoting Shakespeare. I wasn't doing that at the same time, too. <laughs> the things you don't know your, your airplane flight, but <laughs> your pilots yeah. are doing on commercial flights. Yeah, no, yeah. You don't yeah. want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah, you don't want to know. That's true but they do it well. So, all right, you know, going back to kind of like, maybe some of these traits are like innate in us, like, like, you know, kind of like that emotion of, of selling, communicating, like, can you think back of like times, like, I love the story that like your friend, like you had a family friend, you graduated with this degree and kind of like, you know, you really want to cut your teeth and say it like in own your company, you, you wanted to own a company one day. And you're like, I don't even know the path to get there. He's like, go in sales. Like you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn how to communicate with people. You'll get beat up. Uh, you'll learn a lot about that. That'll like just kind of give you everything you need. And you're like, what? I, like people have this kind of like maybe like this, you know, just jaded view of it. Negative, yeah. Negative view of it. So maybe what are some of the like just like kind of like some of these innate traits that you know if people really thought about it, like these are all things that we should be developing in ourselves. Like getting into a sales career or not, 
that might serve you well, just to kind of. Yeah. I'm sure this has been said in in your previous episodes around resiliency Mm. and that getting knocked down. I I, mentioned the story of going in sales and yeah, definitely feel like that was just out of left field for me of, all right, I guess I'll give this a try. And the first month was really humbling in 2008, 2009 most of like the getting in front of potential customers in my industry was through a cold call. Uh, So I was doing 60 to hundred cold calls. And I just remember I was waking up at 6 AM, taking the train and leaving my house by seven, seven 37, getting in at eight 30. And that I just had a dreaded walk and like the pit in my stomach of like, I just do not want to do this. Like, this is not the type of communication. And this is not what I was cut out to do in this world and not what I want to do big picture. I didn't have perspective at the time, and I'll revisit that word here in a second. But uh, as I was walking in, it was just like a feeling of like doom and gloom in that negative reaction that I was going to get. So that resiliency hit me pretty hard. It had to. I was there from 8.30 to 6 p.m. and I wasn't allowed to leave until 6. And I had a train that I could catch at 6.07, but I had to leave at 5.58 and my boss wouldn't let me. At that time, hilariously, the company I worked for, and I won't mention them by name, I just had a class action lawsuit for this very reason, because they were overworking sales reps is like, but at the time in 2000, circa 2007, 2012, no one gave a shit. Like you're, (laughs) you're working 60 to hundred hours. You're prospecting on the weekends. You're finding new leads and you're making nine to five. You better be just doing cold calls. You're doing nothing but cold calls. So that hit hard, but then I think that transferred into more coachability. And uh, when I talked about the resilience, you had to have that up front, didn't have the perspective because it was always a day by day thing. Mm -hmm. And when you and I met, we talked about setting goals and writing goals down. And it wasn't until about four or five years later that I really started to take that to heart and, and like start to write down the goals, but that gave me perspective. So it didn't matter what I was doing day to day is if I felt like I got something out of value, there was a, a real ROI on every single day. It was a, it was a net positive for me. And I built that to weeks, to months, to years over time. Yeah. Such a good point. And we haven't gone into it a whole lot. Like, and it's so important because yeah, like such a big part, like I, my first jobs out of school, like was door-to-door sales in the suburbs of Philly, Doylestown and Allentown and like, what were you, what were you selling? I was selling coupon cards, like pizza, (laughs) pizza hut, oil changes, golf course memberships. And it was like a $20 card. And, you know, I'm trying to get it in your hands. I was step one. And then I'm like, how much do you spend on oil changes? And you're like, I don't know, maybe 30 bucks. Well, how about every single time you get one, you, you pay that. And then the rest of them are free throughout the year. You just buy this card. Sound like a great offer. And be like, what? I don't know. Like, yeah, it's just every single one's free. And he's like, okay. Like, or like they, they were just cheesy somewhere. Like it was like sizzle in the steak. That was just the steak was like, you know, it's just a no brainer, but like other ones were like Denny's, you know, restaurants, but I'm like knocking on people's doors all like, you know, hours of the day to like seven or eight at night. And yep. the nose that I got, you know, think about that. Like I'm some dude you've never seen before coming to you. Like, but you think I'm a like a, you know, from the like I'm what are the guys that like knock on your door like uh, more not Mormons but like oh yeah yeah that just you know, uh, or Jehovah's Witness Jehovah's Witness or something right. somebody you do not want to talk to and you know I had to just say like you know this like 
I just kept on telling, like, it's cheesy. Every no leads to yes, but just kind of like, look, this will happen. You know, like I just have to, well, that's a story myself, you tell, you know, right. Yeah. I think, and I think that's another part of sales that teaches you the human side of how important storytelling is. And we talk about this all the time of, of telling a story. And I think from a CEO perspective, founder perspective, there's nothing more important to what I do day to day than making sure I tell the right story and communicate the why of that story, whether that's to my team, to my customers in this conversation right now, everything really leads back to that, that storytelling. So I think that that's the thing that you go back to is when you first start your career, there, no one's listening to you. So I guess you got to tell yourself stories. So I had something very similar. I'm just like, okay, make 10 more cold calls. I can, I can do this. And like, then you, then you turn into a game and then you kind of like, you, then you have fun with it. And then it starts like you crack that code and you gain confidence and then others coming into your world, which is what I really liked was the coaching piece of it. But I found it through like, oh, if I can like impart the positivity of what I'm doing onto someone else's journey and get their story to change, then I can help them along as well. And that was instantaneous. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm very fortunate. I have the, I have a gift right now for that in this very moment. And I'm going to see this through. I'm going to kind of continue down this journey and see how many people that I can impart this story with and, and enable, activate, empower a group of people to move an organization further, further along. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably sure at some point you were like, okay, I'm not just like making my numbers. I'm not making calls. Like, I'm trying to like you, you, you like whatever you're you were selling like like the story was something about them and you were trying to you know really like get some fulfillment out of helping them in some altruistic way and then maybe you were helping the people on your team too and you saw like when you saw that you had this power to do that like I say make some change in in a person or a business or something like that maybe that gave you a little more to go through that resilience and get through some of like, I'm, I'm sure all the, the walk, the, the six o'clock days, the missing your trains, the, just the dread, you know? I mean, I think at the end of the day, you realize that it's actually about everyone else's journey and less about yours. And so that changes pretty quickly. The less we talk and the more we listen, the better outcomes typically become. So when I say communicate what I'm doing with the organization, it's really like, it's from my perspective. However, it's taking all the data that's coming from my team, from individuals, and, and making sure that I'm framing it up correctly so that the people understand where we're headed, yeah. uh, which I think is the most important thing in today's world because there's just there's so much noise, right? There's so many different startups you can join. Salaries are gone higher and higher. If you're a software engineer, you basically can raise your hand and say, I want a million dollars, and someone will probably give it to you. But I think what is missed and it, it feels unfortunate is the authenticity of these journeys and these organizations and specifically to sales. Sales is often known as the jumping to jumping to jumping, but I'm seeing it way worse now. And like, it's, it's just so unfortunate. It's so frustrating to see. If you want to hone your craft, you really have to find a company, a team, a manager that's going to help you do so. And don't think, I don't think it's being valued as much as the dollars are today. Yeah. I mean, you, like uh, you say in that first company, you like the person that you were working for, like they just didn't, they weren't listening to you. Like they were overworking salespeople. They didn't care about your train. They didn't want to like develop you, but like you, you kind of rose up, you became a manager and then ultimately like founded a company to, you know, even kind of like compete or add to what this company was doing. 
what things are you doing kind of like as a, a leader of a company when you founded that company, what was that? What were some of the things that you did specifically differently than, you know, what your experience was as a salesperson? Startups are inherently hard and we all know that. And me just as the founder and CEO, I don't expect everyone to think about quota path 24 seven, like I do. And that's just the way the world works and that's okay. There's of course cadences and rituals that we have that are kind of set in stone half day Fridays, how we think about like holiday parties or just our general kickoff. Like those things are just more memorialized, but just also just leaving room and space uh, for people to do, do their best work. I think uh, one of the things I actually was speaking with Kevin Dorsey about last week is different types of personalities in sales. And I think I've always just had the inside sales mentality of get in early and get your day set. And by 8.30, you're creating that momentum and that energy. And so that when new hires walk into the door, they just like, that's what the expectation is. And then by nature, because of that, they're going to work more because they have so much work to do, not because they have to do anything at all. It's just like, there's a lot to be done. Uh, so recognizing that, but that recognizing people have different working habits and patterns of 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., that's been a challenge and a change. I think the pandemic has offered a window to allow us to stop and like face some of those as leaders. And I can see that there's still people, there's still an old guard that's pushing against some of those changes. There are two, two strong movements. I don't think there's necessarily this quote unquote great resignation going on, especially in tech. But I do think there is more of a like a power that's get, gotten handed to the individual contributors that we haven't seen before. And that if you're not a leader that's doing a lot of listening and making sure you take into account what you're hearing from your team, you're going to lose people a lot faster than you did previously. And so this cycle time that happens that in startups and in sales, we learn from it's reverse course and it's hitting managers and leaders and executives hard. And this old guard just won't cut it because people have choices, which is good, which is great. Yeah. I always like to think of like, you know, if everyone can like, wherever you're listening, like you can kind of picture some of the best people you've ever worked for the, just the jobs that like that just made you happy when you came into it. Like for me, some of them always go back to like, I felt listened to, I felt mm. like, like they were decisions made. Like, I'm not going to be in the boardroom, like as a, maybe a lower level or mid-level employee, like I'm not in the boardroom. I'm not making these, like, you know, some of these decisions that are like, you know, business altering, but like, you know, if it affects me in some way, like, I'd like to at least feel like I was asked before they were made, you know, or like I had some input a into a, a voice yeah. before instead of like, Hey, this is what we're doing. And this is like the policy and I'm just letting you into it. But like, did you consider this or that, or this or that? No, this is just how we're doing it. It's like, I don't feel like a part of a, a family. Like I, I feel part of like a, just kind of like a. I mean, it's about the environment. Yeah, it's exactly. the environment that you walk into. And I've always thought about like, well, if we can remove all the barriers to the environment where like, if you sit down on your computer, you're doing the best work you possibly can. So of course that's why startups have coffee or ping pong tables or like whatever it is they do that but it goes above and beyond that it's like that you need to make sure you have the right attitude to your employees and to your team and it's not easy it's a lot a lot of work i'd say that as a ceo that has a 60 person org and 30 of which i've worked with previously 
I have a, at least a five year plus standing relationship with over half oh, wow. of the employees at the company. And I'm really fortunate and lucky. And I don't necessarily think it's about me. And I think that's a big part of it. It's, it's about why I think of Quotapath or the company as a bigger picture item and how that person fits into the item. And I'm just an employee of the company and the CEO. I can be the voice of the, the, the organization. I can work through board alignment. But at the end of the day, because we're venture funded, I'm fireable <laughs> and it's my own company that I started and that's okay. And I've got to act like that. I've got to make sure that every single day I come in and I'm doing the best I possibly can so that the company itself doesn't not just fall behind, but it excels. It becomes an outstanding organization that everyone gravitates to and wants to work for. And it's less about me and about what we've built and why we've built it. Hmm. Yeah. Like the last part of what you said, like, you know, it's why we built it, you know, that's what's driving everything. Like, and employees can feel that people can feel that uh, from you. Like, that's like, you're, you're selling like you're all of your employees, like, you know, to get 30 people to come with you on like this total chart, a new path. Like, we don't know, like, this is what my idea is. This is my mission and vision. And like the product, but like, that's a huge leap. Like these are people's lives and that's a lot of people to come over with you to follow you. Like they're, they're clearly having like a voice with you. If, if that's like the case, it's just like kind of crazy to me to think that you kind of started out in sales and, and now you're doing kind of this, you seem like you have like, you know, you even should, we talked about goals and things like that, but you really have a process that you go through you know, just in, in life, like what you want to accomplish. Can you talk a little bit about like where you first learned that? I know you even mentioned going like, you know, when, even though the job wasn't great, like you got sent to Tony Robbins and that yeah. all thing. Talk a little bit about like how you view kind of like planning your future and getting to the places you've gotten. Well, I, and you bring up Tony Robbins. I, I mean, that set in motion a lot of things that I, I got to learn and instill everything from affirmations in the morning to writing down goals and tracking and thinking through that. I was never really a big believer of like, oh, what's your five to 10 year plan? I don't think anyone knows in their life. Their life is full of twists and turns. But I do think that there's some level of what we write down, we can measure and what measure matters that that's obviously well known in this world. So I just started doing it in light ways, thinking about like every three months or I mean, eventually did yearly and then every three years. And those were things that I just revisited. I don't necessarily revisit them every day, week, or even month. I, I probably look at them maybe four times a year, especially in my yearly goals to see how I'm progressing and on track and just more, it's a game. It goes back to what I said at the beginning with, from a sales standpoint of like creating that little gamification. Uh, we only live one life. And I think <laughs> I'm not the one to tell anyone how many lives we live, but uh, to that, we make we'll make the most of it. And we've all had dark days, weeks, maybe even years for some people. And I, I realize that the way I think about that is if I can get that down to, I'm of course going to have not great days and I don't have many non-great weeks. I, I can even say this week where I had an, a mechanical issue my plane flying back from Austin, I was actually left it, had to leave it in Mississippi. And I took a 15 hour flight back to getting back to home. And then this morning we had a tree fall from our neighbor's yard onto my daughter's swing set and it cracked the whole thing in half. 
So I have to have to deal with that. And my car was hit, by the way, a few months ago, and I'm still, I have to take that in today. So like, we all have human problems. We all have to deal with these human problems, but I think how we approach them and how we think about them is the key difference here, right? Like I could just let that, that tree wreck my entire day and spend my entire day worrying about it. And you know, what? like, all right, you know what? It'll be a fun project for my daughters and I to remove it. And like, maybe now we put a pool in our backyard because <laughs> it just brings you something else. So again, Tony Robbins, life happens for you, not to you. Right. And there's always something that you're going to look at that you're like, I can reframe this. This is, there's something here that I can learn from. Yeah. It is such a tough thing to do for people to get to that place. Like, like life happens for you because it's in the moment you're like, what else could go wrong? What else can I add to it? Like my holiday, my week holiday post Christmas into the new year is now filled with all of these personal administration bullshit things and whatever it happens. You know, you're making me think of something. I don't know what you think about this, but what do you think about this? Like telling those things, like making us real people, like no one else has that, what you just said, you, you, you go back to like storytelling. No one else has that story of a tree falling on their swing set, a car gets hit and a plane that like is just sitting in, in Mississippi, like Tunica, all, Mississippi, all, right Tunica, now. Who, which I've actually been to that uh, casino? Place, the casino, casino for a conference, which no, like in the middle of nowhere with flies all over my window at the hotel is the weirdest uh, little place, but fun little casino for a, a conference. But anyways, like telling those stories to people people sometimes don't realize the power of like just getting that stuff out there. Cause I bet you, you could say that to someone and then I could be like, no way, AJ, like, man, I, I hear you, man. Like, this is what happened to me. Like, you know, like I'm working through plans at new year's and it's, it's fallen through. And I'm not sure if we're going to go to see the Penn state game in Tampa uh, with my father-in-law, or if we're going to do you know, like what we're going to do for our New Year's Eve plans. And we're kind of like, it's really stressful time. We're trying to figure this out. And then we're all in a conversation because we're talking about like, you know, our problems that we're, we're dealing with in our day. And it's a way of connecting and again, selling in a way where you're in a place that you're creating this environment for people to maybe listen to you a little bit more deeply. Cause you know, again, they, they feel like they have a voice with you. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think there's like parts of how the human mind works here where if you're having something down and you want to and you hear something else, it's easy to commiserate or bring that person down or one up them in mm-hmm. that regard. And like there's no point to that. So I, I didn't mention those things to to do it from a commiseration. I just mentioned them because they're things that have happened in our life. And so like I'm going to post the funny picture on our Slack of my swing set cut in half because it's, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. And maybe someone else will get joy or someone else will talk like, oh, this happened to me last year. You should do this. Like, that's actually kind of helpful. So when those things happen, I tend to like, listen, and some of those are, are fairly private. I mean, deaths and families or real, real things like anything I've mentioned so far is just kind of like, eh, well, when it happens. But the other stuff that happens to us in life, they're defining, they change our trajectory forever of who we are and what we want to be. And we need to look out for those, whether those are friends or family 
or coworkers, people that we love, like those are things where you need to be the, you need to reverse the support. You need to be the person that they need you to be. You need to make the two hour drive to go see them because they will reciprocate that in spades for you as well. And that's the important lesson there is, is taking those human interactions and making sure we carry them forward. Mm, yeah. You kind of referenced something, you know, personal to me, like, like those moments, sometimes we kind of like look past, but it's like, these are moments where like they could change trajectories of relationships. Like if someone is like, who can you give more of your time to like someone, you know, who I had a very casual relationship with, like said, huh, like Alex is asking me to, you know, go see him speak because it really means to him because his dad just passed and he's talking about, he's going to talk about him and, you know, it's important to him. And maybe I do need to like do whatever I can to do that. And that was two years ago. And I went and did the same for him when, you know, he has a big moment in his life when he's moving all his things to, from Florida to Tennessee. I drove two hours each way on a, on a Saturday to go see him. So, so important, I think, to like recognize those, those things because they, that, but that genuineness, I mean, yeah. it comes off because when you say like, oh yeah, come check this out you're not thinking that person's actually going to drive two hours and then they show up and you see them. And it, it probably changed how you actually spoke during that conversation because it gave you the energy. It's a really like, uh, of course, it's a really tough subject to talk about, but like at the same time, knowing that there's others there to support you makes that to, to me, that puts me on stage. That goes, that takes me back to my childhood, throws me back to when I'm like 10, 11, 12, 13 and on stage. And I know like my parents drove me every day from Moon Township out by the airport to the North side where the Pittsburgh public theater was to Carnegie hall. It was the, not the New York Carnegie, Carnegie, by the way, from Pittsburgh, Andrew Carnegie, not Carnegie, Carnegie, <laughs> Okay. where Carnegie hall was. And they watched every performance like for a half a year. I, and I, I took that for granted at that time. I don't today. And certainly having my own kids. And then my dad also put together like this fantastic book with all the photos that I like revisit pretty frequently because it's just such great memories to have and think back during that time. So brings you back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, wow. You kind of yeah, brought it back to the beginning when it is, you know, again, all about like, kind of like really just that commitment to like, and that emotional commitment to whatever you're doing, it seems like, and, and you, you put in the work to it throughout your career. Yeah. Like, I, I think as we kind of like come to the end, are there things like I always ask people, like some people think there are two types of people in the workforce positions, things that are, you know, sales related salespeople, mm -hmm. they have it in their job title we know who they are. They have quotas, you know, you're running yeah. a company quota path. Like I have a number I have to hit and I have to overperform or whatever. And then there's the rest of us, the rest of the workforce who, you know, I don't really agree with this term, but non-salespeople, people that don't have a number to hit really to make their, their job. They have a salary, they go in and they're doing their thing and they may not think they have the talent. They That's not for them. They get into this rut of thinking they're like these like salespeople are just other animals or extroverts and whatever. What advice would you have for both groups? Like just to kind of like tap into their, like some of these things we were talking about, like their resiliency, emotional connection, like what would you say to the non-salesperson and maybe the salesperson? Are they the same? 
are things different? What would you tell? In tell those 2009, people? I was at a restaurant. It was a year into my sales career and I was struggling a little bit. As I said earlier, just in thinking about what I was going to do, I was doing well, but it was just not fun. And I remember overhearing, I don't know if she was a marketing leader. I have no idea who she was, but I remember her saying the phrase, I hate salespeople. I hate salespeople. And I got so frustrated with that because I had no idea who she was or what, what she did. But I assumed, made some assumptions that she was in some level of like business world where people are reaching out to her. And my view on that at that time was like, doesn't she realize she probably has a sales team in her own company? And the reason she has an effing job right now is because of the same salespeople that she dislikes. That was my view. I'm not sure my views really changed <laughs> so much there, <laughs> but I have over time had some softness in the empathy view because I've gotten to positions where I've seen like seen the sausage made, but I've seen how it all works, how it all comes together. And what I've realized is that our world is way more closely connected than it was in 2008, 2009. And the way sales happens is done differently, but that we've started to like really, we've gotten a view into the other people's stream, right? So like, even though I said I'm the founder CEO and I know how all this works, I bet you that a lot of people on my team understand a little bit more of the, the engineering process, maybe not how to code themselves, but they understand the product process and how we think about the product, because that's something that we bring to the forefront. There's lots of tools that have helped us do that. Sure. In automation and efficiency, but overall we've tried to like learn and connect better about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so when I think about that as the greater world in general for sales, doesn't matter if you're tech, if you're insurance, real estate, is that we all have started to understand why we do what we do a little bit better. And that's connected us a little bit more as humans. On the other side of that, which is, I think, the terrible side of that, this is, which is social. And everyone's become a platform, whether it's political or conspiracy theory or any, any number of things. That's actually, as a spectrum from human connection to not, I think that there's a dark side to this, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that I, I'm watching out for. I think we're all at the end of the day, we are more empathetic to each other than we've ever been, ever, ever have been. But we have instruments that are creating division and divisiveness to us as people, as human beings. And, and we have to watch out for that. We have to be very aware. And the challenge is that socially, we aren't all aware if you have the gift of, of sales or you've gone into sales, you are just more and you're successful, you're much more aware of this. And, and sellers are very empathetic. They're doing, they're better active listeners. And so they're going to be more empathetic. And, and in general, they're probably going to feel a little bit more of like this, like just negative chest tightness because of how, what's going on, what has gone on in the world in the last few years. And I know I'm going, this is a long way for me to say, that I think back to that conversation I had in 2009 and I kind of laugh. I laugh at it because I wonder where that person is today. And I wonder if she really still believes that she hates salespeople. I bet you she doesn't. I bet you she really likes them. She might be a seller herself, honestly. <laughs> By now, yeah. Yeah, we just like think of people in this box, you know, and you know, we maybe have been jaded. People get jaded by bad experiences and put them all in a box, but like what you just said, people are thinking really critically about other people and, you know, how they deploy empathy and, you know, how we all are doing it more now. Like, I think what 
the definition of what that person may have been back then in 2008 uh, was always the same. We were all, at least the best ones, like they are good and bad salespeople, let's be honest, but like the best ones that were really at the height and, you know, getting to places you've gotten to in your career, were always thinking, and what you've said throughout your whole career, you were always thinking about not just being in the other person's shoes, but actually like listening and living and, you know, trying to think from the world, from their point of view at all times. And so that's what a true salesperson is. You know, we always end off on a way for every guest to kind of connect with people because everyone has their own story. And it's just this last question is a fun question about you because I kind of believe that, you know, listen, like, you know, Hey, maybe we can keep this going and someone can like learn something from you or something that no one else in the world like you can do. So this question is just something fun. It's if you can think of something, something that's happened to you in your life or an event that could only, or would only happen to you, AJ Bruno, what would it be? And another way to look at it is like, if I asked your wife or your kids, like that thing is just that thing that happened. That's just so totally AJ. I can already maybe think of a couple that you've mentioned in the podcast, but um, what would uh, that something that could only or would only happen to you? But I would say, so, and you mentioned my wife, I've uh, dated my wife since high school. And when I moved from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia area, I was, I mentioned, I was probably my like most depressed state I've been in just because I felt like I was leaving uh, something behind. And my first day of school, I got on the bus and I sat next to my wife, my now wife. And I just started talking to her, but I, I like I had a, and then uh, the coincidence there was sat next to her and then had my very first class debate class with her as well. And just happened to be partnered with her during that time. And I mean, we've together there 20 plus years, have three beautiful children, have a phenomenal family and home life. And she's an entrepreneur too, and, and has a childcare center that she owns, which has been her own fun last year and a half. But like, if I look back at like happening to me, and that is the most fortunate thing that has ever happened. And I've had a lot of, a lot of fortunate things happen. That's by far the luckiest I've had. And I'm really thankful for that looking back at it, but that would only happen to me. I mean, I know there's tons of high school sweethearts, so that's not true. But for me, I'll point to that one singular moment that changed the trajectory of my entire life forever in a very positive way. That's so like, just to end off on a story, that's such a great story. I met my wife by a chance encounter. Like I met her in the beach and I joke around that was the beach relationship, the one night stand that lasted close to 7,000 nights later. But I met her. Who's counting? But who's counting? But it is a love story in that, yeah, she, I was meeting a friend and she happened to be in the parking lot when I was like, hey, do you know this guy? And she's like, yeah, he actually dates my roommate. So she just happened to be in the parking lot when I came up, you know, to randomly surprise my friend that I just met weeks before that. And I asked her for directions and here you are. You're, 7,000 nights later. Yes. <laughs> well, AJ, this is such a great conversation. Where could people continue to find you, connect with you, learn more about you, Quotapath, what you're doing? Uh, we have a website. Today. That's a thing. We yeah. have uh, we have Quotapath.com. I, I think uh, if you're uh, trying to track me down, I am fairly busy these days, but it, if you write me a personal note on LinkedIn, there's a 99% chance I'll respond. The 1% Ooh, is really right. if I miss something in my inbox gets overloaded but i like 
you can you can reach out to me. I'm there. Uh, it's the only social I'm on these days. So feel free to connect with me. Fun. And you'll see in his feed, he's launching an awesome show from his plane where he's interviewing sales leaders and just people throughout the workforce, just having awesome conversations while he flies a plane. How that yeah. goes down is going to be just interesting to me. Well, it's it's so the I vulnerability. I force people to sign quota path contracts on the flight. <laughs> there you go. Their lives are in my hands. So they don't really have a choice. So, nice. Yes. I love it. Launches very soon. Thank you for that plug. I appreciate that. Value, value props is the name of the show. What a great name. All right. Well, AJ Bruno, thank you so, so much for, for jumping on the podcast. Love Thanks, Alex. Great being here. Great talking to you today. Appreciate yeah. it. Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.